I always wanted to leave Bulgaria. Why? I don't know. I was still a child, a small child. When I go to bed at night, I was dreaming that my bed is taking off and I'm flying out of the window and I want to go somewhere out there as far as I can. I don't know what it was. And then when the things got really bad in Bulgaria in the whole Eastern Bloc, that was in uh, 89 and 90 after the fall of the Berlin Wall, many people decided to move to other countries. Welcome to the Embrace Your Inner Weirdo podcast, where paradigms shift. Impossible becomes I'm possible, and weirdos are exposed for who they really are, pure geniuses. With your host, who walked from Chicago to L.A., just because he could. The one and only Mr. Weirdo, a.k.a. Rashid Huda. Hello, Ellie. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. It's a beautiful day today. Yes, it is. And uh, you, I know you are in Houston area. Where exactly are you in Houston? I am in Kingwood. Um up 59 north okay so that would be like northeast of houston correct yes and we originally met uh as toastmasters yes so for for the listeners who don't know you give us a brief couple of minutes synopsis on who ellie hart is all right I came to the United States from Bulgaria in 1991. I worked for a small company here in Houston in the forestry business as my background and my education is in forest ecology. Two, three years after that, I met and married my second husband, Ron, and I moved to the woodlands with my already seven, eight year dot old daughter, which you all also know. And I, my English was not good at all. In fact, it was zero when I came to the US. I also came to Houston with only $21, but that's another story. And how can you move to a place where you don't know anything about, you don't know the job, you don't know the language, you don't know how to drive in Houston, really? <laughs> and that was a big change for me, a lot of uh, things that I had to discover for myself and learn. And of course, and then I joined Toastmasters by mistake. I didn't know what that was. I saw a small advertisement in a local newspaper that the Toastmasters is meeting in Luby's cafeteria at 7 a.m. and breakfast is served. That's all I could understand from this little announcement. And the only word that I knew for Toastmaster was my toaster. My kitchen toaster. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought that this is actually a cooking class. 
Uh -huh. That's a cooking class, right? It's in a restaurant, it's early in the morning, breakfast, this and that. And I went there one morning, it was Friday morning, seven o'clock, and I walked in a place full of people and they greeted me. And I saw a couple of people that I already knew somehow from other places and I still could not figure it out. I was in complete fog of what that is and what we're doing. And they even got me on table topics to answer a question which I could not understand what they're asking me. But I said something and I won the trophy. Can you believe that? <laughs> And everybody liked my accent and they said, Ellie, whatever you do, don't lose this accent because it sells. <laughs> so here I am, right? Uh, 30 some years later, I'm keeping the accent just for chic, but I believe that I really can work with the language in many levels, in all levels. And I've never left Toastmasters actually. So from 90, from 97, if we count, it's probably 24, 25, this is the 25th year. In the year 2000, I uh, reached my first Distinguished Toastmasters Award. The, I took my first D DTM, we call it DTM, Distinguished Toastmaster, for, in four years as president of the Woodlands Toastmaster. And then... I took another uh, more scenic route about it because I thought that I can probably take my time and compete more and mentor and serve the district and so on. So the second DTM, the second time around, which is the second black belt that we call it, I call it the <laughs> black belt in public speaking and leadership, I got in probably 2008 or something like that. And then I made a third one that happened, just happened. And people are asking me why and how do you do this? I don't focus on that. It just comes together. If you walk the walk, it just happens. <laughs> so it is not something for people that rush through it because if you rush through it, you don't learn to be a mentor, to serve, and all this. In fact, you don't learn much. <laughs> That's why I am now working, I would say, on my fourth DTM, but I don't have any time uh, limit or anything like that. I don't have it on my calendar. When do I want it? Whenever happens, happens. <laughs> Other than Toastmasters, what else... Uh... Have you done since you moved to Houston? Oh well, I worked in uh, forestry and forest ecology, environmental sciences for some time, and then uh, one of the companies that I worked for uh, just folded. And I thought, well, um, I'm very specialized, and I don't know how long it will take me to get another job. So let me see if I can get some part-time something here while I'm on the mall. Of course, by mistake, I walked in a store. By mistake, I, <laughs> it's just the same way. And they hired me. They hired me in Ollie's. And I thought that this is just a horrible job. 
that uh, I was hurting. I had to work on my feet for a long time, even though it was a part-time job. And I thought, well, it's probably good. It will keep me active and all that until I find another job. Well, I stopped looking for a job because I became a number one salesperson in Follies, not in a store, in a company. They will come and just watch me, what I'm doing. And they could not believe it. They put me on a special pay. I was making more than a manager part-time. I mean, I was really, really liking it. It was in men's department, 10 years in men's department. It was fun. It was a good job. I really liked it. And I uh, don't know, you know, people look at retail like something really bad or in a side, but it's actually can become a very clever profession, something that you can do. And then uh, after 10 years, I changed. I decided to go even jump another big hurdle and instead of having hourly pay i will go on straight commission and i uh, started working at star furniture and i had all this network you know people that shopped with me and toastmasters and i'll tell you i'll furnished probably the whole montgomery county it's oh in harris county too with all my friends coming all through town to <laughs> to shop with me. It was a fun job also, and then it was time for me to retire. So I really officially retired from Star Furniture. And if it wasn't for this mistake, Rashid, that I just walked on the wrong place on the wrong day, um, I wouldn't know that I am a salesperson. I would be doing science or something sitting on the desk and I would not know that there is another world out there, see? Yeah, uh, so that was that was really good. It, it was a good career and it I uh, ended it uh, a couple of years ago. Now I'm just uh, re uh, enjoying my time off, doing things that I like to do and life is good. What, what prompted you to leave Bulgaria and come to the United States. I always wanted to leave Bulgaria. Why? I don't know. I was still a child, a small child. When I go to bed at night, I was dreaming that my bed is taking off and I'm flying out of the window and I want to go somewhere out there as far as I can. I don't know what it was. And then when the things got really Bad in Bulgaria in the whole Eastern Bloc that was in uh, 89 and 90 after the fall of the Berlin Wall, many people decided to move to other countries. Now, I had a really a good chance to do that because my father and his family, second family, lived in US for maybe 15, 20 years before that, you know, I was raised by my mother in Bulgaria, but my father was here. So he invited us, invited us. He applied for us, for me and my daughter to come to the US. I would say that I came 
invited. <laughs> I had all the papers ready. I had everything uh, legal, which of course didn't make it easier because I had to start from nothing all by myself, you know. And, uh, but, but without that, I don't know what else I would do. I cannot imagine my life not being weird, as you want to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, flying, fly, taking your bed and flying out of the window to go someplace. That sounds weird. Yeah, like the magic carpet. See, we uh -huh. grew up we grew up with stories from all around the world. And probably these were my favorites from Thousand and One Night, uh, which here is um it's called Arabian Nights, but right. it's actually a thousand and one nights. And I was so fascinated by it. All the things were so mystical and beautiful. Magical. And that's what I wanted to do. Oh, yeah. Yep. Just fly through the out the window. and. Growing up, dreaming about flying away and go. Was that common when, where you were growing up? Or was it different? Did most people want to go get away? Uh, how how did that fit into the culture that you were part of? No, I've always been different about my drive to travel and go places um, that were unheard of. See, when we were living in Bulgaria, we didn't know that it's good or bad. You know, it's life is life, wherever you are. But I always wanted to go somewhere else that nobody's ever been and we could not actually travel it was it wasn't the easy thing to go to different countries uh, other than the uh, you know the communist bloc which was eastern europe mostly and central europe but my dad as i told you he was already working in tunisia Northern Africa. So I was 12 years old when I flew by myself from Bulgaria to Tunisia and nobody ever made the trip like that. Not my age, not people other age, nobody. Here I am in Africa. <laughs> and for four summers, I was flying there and spending the summers with my dad in Tunisia. After that, he immigrated from Tunisia to the U.S. And of course, I stayed in Bulgaria with my mother, where I was educated, married, divorced, and all that. And when I was 36, which is very pretty mature age for moving, I moved to the United States for good. Oh, I love it because life is much easier. It, it fits me better. It's my character better. Of course, I still have cultural shocks. I still do. <laughs> what was the first big cultural shock that you experienced when you came here? The amount of trash that one family can produce in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Gosh, what are the people doing? What are they eating? How they can fill a whole trash can with so much stuff that was one of the big shocks uh, another one was and it still is when i see a gallon of milk 
I just flip when I see a gallon of milk. This is so much milk. Who's going to drink all this thing, right? And the first time I went to the store and I see this, this lady and she gets two gallons and boom on this big cart. And I thought, well, she probably has a restaurant or something. I don't know. But that could be just her daily shopping. I don't know. Again, the amount of, of food, the size of the shopping carts and the amount of trash are still bothering me, really, uh, daily. <laughs> I, I can understand uh, growing up in India and Pakistan uh, where we didn't waste anything mm-hmm. and um, everything was recycled, everything was reused. And so I, I can fully understand and relate to what you're saying. My, oh, cult- my culture shock when I came to the United States, I got here in January. It was 30 degrees outside. The coldest experience I had was 42 degrees. <laughs> and when I, my, I had two brothers living. So when we got home, the first thing they handed me was Coke. I'm like, it's cold outside. <laughs> and you're giving me a, something cold to do. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. And yep. when I told that story to my host family, when I was in college, there were uh, local families that hosted uh, international students. And when I related that story to my host family, they said, well, if you had been here in summer, they would have handed you a cup of coffee. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, so, that's that's funny. Yeah. So after coming here, how long did it take you to excuse me? To really learn not necessarily master, but have working understanding of the language. How long did it take you? And what was challenging about the process? The working understanding was easy for me because English is my fourth language after Bulgarian, Russian, and French. Um, So once you know, and also I had an education in, in forestry, which is also Latin was widely used. So with this background languages, it was very, very easy for me to to understand things. That doesn't mean that I could speak it or write it, but the understanding was there. Then the speaking came uh, with Toastmasters, I would say because I wanted to say things and people were asking me questions and I was speaking all the time and they were really correcting me in in certain things. And that was amazing, very good, very helpful. And I believe that the last thing is to start writing in English, that it's actually English and it's not some other language translated (laughs) right and then um, when I knew that I really got it and it took over 
and the other languages were left behind was when I started dreaming at night in English. So when I have dreams at night, if I ever do, they're in English, which is okay. quite amazing. Yes. Right? Yeah. I had a friend of mine uh, in college who was from uh, Malaysia, and he spoke very good English when I first came here. Uh, his family, uh, his, his forefathers were from India, so we had that common bond. And I asked him, I said, how did you learn to speak so well? And his answer was, think in English. Yeah, there it is. Yes. So that was the best advice that I got. The second thing he, he told me to do was to watch a lot of children's programming. Yes. And uh, so I learned my English from Sesame Street. Ah, Sesame Street. And I've learned a lot from my daughter who, when we moved to Houston, she started school in first grade. She was on the first grade level with English. And that uh -huh. helped me so much, really. And she will be watching, you know, little children's movies or something. And uh -huh. yes, absolutely. And then when I was driving to work or something, I was listening to radio and trying to repeat what I hear. Yes. Which was also very helpful. But what I can say about the language, the last thing is probably there are people living here all their lives and they just don't care about the language. I do. I work with the language every day. I have all these words of the day, you know, uh, that I get questions about language and all that. I'm on expert level on that. I'm in mm -hmm. the top 85% or something, which is amazing, really, truly is. But the thing is that I like languages and I like to work and learn and ask questions, and that's how it goes. Right. And, that, you know, that's how I am. I've, I've always had this love for language. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, we were five brothers, and we all talked about, you know, traveling the world. And one of my brothers said, yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea, but what about all these different languages we, you know, and my eldest brother says, oh, we don't have to worry about that. We got Rashid. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that's funny. That's, yeah, that, yeah. That, was, that was my love for languages. And one of the things that I, I did when I, whenever I learned a language, I try to speak it as a native. And uh, I found it funny that when in the United States, when I came here, I went to college in Oklahoma. And when I moved to Chicago, everybody was amazed with my Southern accent, so to speak. How funny. And when I came to Texas, after living five years in Chicago, they called me the damn Yankee. So you were five... a foreigner no matter, no matter where you go, right? <laughs> so I pick up the accent, uh, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your definition of success? How would you define being successful? Well, this is a very grand question. What is the definition for success? <laughs> I think it's when you feel happy, you're successful. If you're happy, you are there. 
So without big goals and time limits and who knows what to do lists and all that, if you're happy with yourself, you made it. That's Absolutely. what success is. It's very simple, actually. Absolutely correct. You're the second person who gave me that same answer. Ah, interesting. Yes. I'm glad that people think like me. <laughs> yes, you know, we are weird in our own way, but we do have things in common because of the fact that we think differently than the rest of the crowd. We're, we may be among the minority, but we can relate to each other. We have our own oh, absolutely. Uh, connection. So would you say your success was dependent on you being weird or was it in spite of you being weird? Maybe in spite of, maybe in spite of, I don't know. I don't know. I've never seen myself as a weird person. I just, I just see myself as an individual and mm -hmm. somebody that is different because I don't subscribe to other people's standards. Yes. And whatever is important to some people is absolutely not important for me. And what's important to you? What's important to me is the, is, is the feel of happiness. It's if I feel my day with things that are pleasant and happy, I mean, we cannot be happy all the time, of course, uh, but if we get to this nirvana state, <laughs> That's that success means we've made it. It doesn't matter what age we are or where we are in life and how much we make or whatever. Isn't yeah. that what everybody is trying to accomplish in life is yeah. to be happy? Well, I hope more, more people figure it out. <laughs> that it's very simple, actually. Yep. It, it's a matter of making a decision with what makes you happy and just doing that. Um, people who have difficulty accepting themselves as they are because the society is telling them how to be, what would you say to them? I would say to them to just sit with themselves for a while. Just sit with yourself and ask questions <laughs> and see mm. what yourself will tell you. Can you be right? a little more specific or more well, elaborate? You know what? I uh, This is something that it's another, not a culture shock. It is just the reality that uh, everyone is trying to mimic something else, somebody else, he wants or she wants the same clothes or wants this or that. It's very materialistic. It is, it is in a way wasteful. It's very wasteful. And if we probably reduce the waste, I'm going back to the point with too much garbage that we are making, too much trash. Yes. So if we can reduce, reuse, recycle the things in our lives, if we can reduce our, let's say, screen time, if we can recycle our 
clothes, if we can reuse what's left over in the refrigerator. All these things make life so much easier and simpler. And I guess the simplicity, I will cite the great Leonardo da Vinci, who said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Let me say that again because it's beautiful. The simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I like that. Very it's simple. Very, very true. I agree with you there. Good. <laughs> so what's next for Ellie? Oh, I am, this year I'm very busy with my Toastmasters uh, engagements as area director, as member of different groups advanced and my own. I also have time for my hobbies and I do cross teaching. I cook and bake for friends all the time. I'm a chef <laughs> and I have time to exercise, to walk, to be with people and all the things that I couldn't do before as they were chores when I was working are now becoming a pleasurable pastime. What's your favorite dish to cook? Oh, I don't have one. <laughs> I. I um, I don't have one. I really I cook different things, different cuisines. Right now, I'm getting ready to bake a chocolate pear Italian sweet bread. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> with pears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got the pears. I got the pears. I pulled out the eggs to be room temperature. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm going to do and see what happens. Great. Now, over the years, I have seen you compete in Toastmasters in different contests they have. Right. And one of the one of the things that you have, or at least my in 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 my observation, you have consistently won humor contests. Where does that come from? Where does that sense of humor, uh, was it always there from the childhood? Did you get it from? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was always there. And to do humorous speeches in different language, it's quite a challenge for some. Not for me, because it comes from inside. In fact, I never put pencil to paper. Can you believe that? I never wrote a speech in my entire life. And I probably gave hundreds and hundreds of speeches and I competed so many times. I can't count, I don't even remember. But I won many times the humorous contests at district level and also Tall Tale, which is also another forte of mine. You know, the, the tall tales are yes. just really made up stories that sound so real. And it's coming, and I'm a stone-faced comedian. I don't laugh. I don't do anything funny. And I just, know. It, it, is, it just turn, it comes out so funny, and it's, 
<laughs> and and I really enjoy that. I really do. But I don't compete all the time. I compete every two years or something like that, you know, so that I can take time to uh, mentor and serve the district and do my own thing. Yeah, I remember yeah. the last contest uh, that uh, you you won at the district level, I believe, with the yeah. little rooster story. Yeah, I'm the I'm the district champion for <laughs> 2021. Yes. Yeah. So, what other hobbies do you have besides cooking and cross stitching? Well, I think that that pretty much uh, takes my time when I am cross stitching, which is a new hobby for me. I really knew it's probably a year and a half during the pandemic. I thought, well, I'm just spending too much time with that, but I love it. So while I'm doing that, I'm listening to books. Uh -huh. I'm listening to books while I'm cross-teaching and then I exercise and then I took Zoom classes and I am all over the place. I take uh, college classes, non-credited classes just for fun. I, I'm very engaged with deep, with groups, uh, with international ladies groups in the Woodlands and Kingwoods, both places. So I'm busy. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. So if somebody wanted to follow you, um, get to know you a little better, maybe give you some money, where would they find you? Oh, they can find me only with an email because I'm not on social media platforms. Don't look for me there. I don't have time to waste for that. Sorry to say that. Uh, but it's just a simple email can probably reach me. The, it's the easiest way. Do you have a website? I do not have a website. I used to have one many years ago. I don't now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, this is a this is a social platforms which I am not against, but I'm just not on them. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, considering the way the society is these days, that's weird. Oh, that's weird. Yes. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing. Yeah. What? She doesn't have a Facebook. She's not on Instagram. She doesn't tweet. No, I don't. And you don't even have a website. And I don't even have a website. And can I say that people can't reach me? Of course, I have so many people around me. Yeah. Actually, this way of overexposure of everything, it really bugs me. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody's posting everything and people talking about lives that are not real. I don't have time for that. I'm living the real life. Simple. Okay. <laughs> now that's that's going to create a challenge for me uh -huh. is because on the podcast episode cover, I have my guest in their website, but you don't have a website. Yes. So, okay, well, you're the second one who does, doesn't have a website. Uh, Tamisha Garner, you know her. Yeah. She doesn't have a website. I talked her into getting one. So she's she registered the domain for herself. And I know you have the lehard.com as, as a domain. 
Uh, is there anything on that website? No. No, it's just something. The domain, you... the domain was there probably 20 years ago and it's still there, but now there is nothing there. Okay. So you, yeah. you don't have a website. I like my privacy also. I really do. I like wow. my my privacy and I like to be reached only by people that um, I know and like and want to spend time with. Fantastic. Any parting words? Parting words. Well, about the weirdo, because you are the embrace your inner weirdo. Um, I don't know, just know yourself. That's so simple. Just get to know yourself. There is so much there. And how do you do that? How you do that? Get off of the social webs. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. Turn off this phone and, and write down something or, or spend time with yourself and you may find out that you have a talk with intelligent person. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. That is absolutely true. And I was talking with uh, another friend of ours, Eddie, Eddie Merla, earlier today. Uh -huh. And uh, we were talking about uh, all the things that we have within ourselves that we never take time to get to know. Correct. And uh, I call it the acres of diamonds. We all have acres of diamonds within ourselves but we're out in the world looking for diamonds when they're all within ourselves. I like that. Yes, that's Absolutely. very good. That's very good, Rashid. Yeah, we agree on that too. I appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule in retirement and uh, talking with me and uh, sharing your wisdom, sharing who you are and I learned that by doing this, when I started this, I kind of started it more or less like a, not necessarily as a joke, but something light to bring about uh, uh, the, the phrase embrace your inner weirdo just set some people off in the wrong way. Because uh, the word of weirdo is not a popular word. And... Uh, so I, you know, I started this just to make a point that you can be weird and still be not crazy, not odd, you know, psycho, and that was that was the goal. But I'm learning that by talking with people, I'm finding that more and more people see themselves as unique. Yeah, and I'm getting to gain a lot of wisdom for the people that I talk with. And uh, so, you know, it has become an educational. It is now it's more exciting for me to continue doing this. And as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, we have 10 episodes out as of this recording with seven others in the pipeline waiting to go out that I've already recorded. And um, I have a lineup that will keep me busy until February of next year. So 
That's that's great. Uh, ah. That's very good, Rashid. Keep doing what you're doing because we are all learning from this. Yes, and I, yes. I'm enjoying it. I am enjoying it. It's a, uh, it's. I, I never thought this this would be so much fun, but it it is. It is. It is, and I wish you luck with uh, the rest of the crowd that is coming to talk to you. Yes, that is a very very good idea, and I feel like weirdo means unique and embrace your inner uniqueness and get to know yourself is probably my last word for today. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Ellie. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see each other around. Of course. Of course. We are old friends, long-time friends, I should yes. say. Yes. <laughs> and we're All old. Right. Let's face it. No, we are long-time <laughs> friends. Yes. <laughs> Getting old. <laughs> yeah. I, I I tell my daughter I'm not old, and she says, oh, "Get real, you're almost 70. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pushing yeah. that too. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's it's a good time. It's life. a good time. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Ali. I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. You're welcome, right. and thank you, Rashid. I my pleasure. You well, thank. All right. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Embrace Your Inner Weirdo podcast, where we debunk the myth that weirdo is a four-letter word. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Share it with a friend and leave a tip if you like the show.